Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity entitled, Emerging Treatment Strategies for the Management of Patients with Chronic Cough, Cases, is provided by the American Thoracic Society and AKH, and is supported by an educational grant from Merck Sharpen Dome Corporation, a subsidiary of Merck and Company Incorporated. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Uh, hello, happy Saturday uh, afternoon to, uh, to everybody. Uh, thank you for um, coming to this webinar on the management of patients with chronic cough. Uh, my name is Garth Garrison. I'm an associate professor of medicine here at the Robert Larner College of Medicine at the University of Vermont. Uh, I'm a, a pulmonologist um, and uh, the program director of our fellowship training program and uh, love participating in education. I have no relevant financial disclosures pertinent to this talk. In terms of the goals and objectives for today, we will discuss the unmet clinical need and impact of chronic cough in patients uh, who don't find relief from recommended management strategies, uh, analyze the clinical trial data and mechanisms of action of emerging therapies for patients with chronic refractory cough, and to summarize the current guidelines with emerging treatment strategies for the management of patients with chronic cough. Uh, this is the second part of our uh, webinar series, um, and in, this, uh, in, in, in today's uh, webinar, we'll be looking at the guidelines in a little bit more detail uh, compared to the first uh, presentation. Wanted to take a minute to review some of the definitions that um, pertain to this uh, presentation. Uh, so uh, the terminology around chronic cough can be a bit confusing. Um, there are some definitions that are proposed and are fairly consistent. Uh, acute cough is defined as a cough that's, la that's lasting three weeks or less. Uh, Subacute cough uh, would be a cough that's lasting between three and eight weeks. And chronic cough would be a cough that's uh, greater than eight weeks in duration. There is a term chronic refractory cough or refractory chronic cough that's a cough greater than eight weeks that persists despite a thorough evaluation in therapeutic trials. And I think that uh, when most of us think about chronic cough, that's really the group of people that we often think about. Uh, Over-the-counter cough uh, pharm uh, pharmacotherapies generally have limited efficacy for chronic cough, and this is a significant burden um, uh, globally. Now, it's thought that an inciting pathology of chronic cough can be often identified following a thorough evaluation. Um, if, if we can identify the cause, the strategy is generally to optimize the therapy for the underlying diagnosis. And the most common etiologies of chronic cough are thought to be asthma, non-asthmatic eosinophilic bronchitis, gastroesophageal reflux, uh, upper airway cough syndrome, uh, COPD, upper airway, uh, uh, and ACE inhibitor-induced cough. So today we're going to take uh, two cases and walk through using the two uh, most commonly used guidelines on chronic cough, uh, that from CHEST and, that, and the next from the European Respiratory Society. These guidelines are fairly similar, uh, but do have some subtle differences in terms of how uh, uh, cases are worked up. So for case study one, we'll have Angelo, who is a 62-year-old male, a lifelong non-smoker, presenting with a six-month history of cough following a brief hospitalization for a new diagnosis of congestive heart failure. 
in terms of his past medical history, he has heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, type 2 diabetes mellitus, dyslipidemia, and hypertension. His current medications include atorvastatin, metoprolol, lisinopril, and metformin. So a pretty common patient to see uh, in clinic. The cough is described as being non-productive. Uh, triggers include talking and laughing. This cough occurs at rest and with exertion, and often occurs after waking in the morning. There are no associated symptoms, including reflux, chest pain, upper airway symptoms, including rhinitis or sinusitis. Uh, there is some shortness of breath as cough worsens, but generally not uh, in between cough periods. There's no hemoptysis and no improvement with over-the-counter cough medications, as is typical in cases like this. So in the chest guidelines, initial evaluation is focused on obtaining a thorough history and physical, obtaining a chest X-ray, and identifying red flags. This patient is in no acute distress, is conversing in complete sentences, uh, has a fairly normal physical exam with no adventitial breast sounds. There's symmetric air entry throughout. The PMI is non-displaced and cardiac auscultation is normal. There is no lower extremity edema, no digital clumping, and chest X-ray is without abnormality. So again, in the chest guidelines, uh, we obtain a thorough history and physical, and uh, they place a lot of emphasis on identifying red flags. So in this patient, there is no hemoptysis. Uh, this patient is, does not have a significant smoking history. Um, the uh, patient does not have prominent dyspnea, hoarseness, fever, weight loss, uh, peripheral edema, trouble swallowing, vomiting, uh, recurring pneumonia, or an abnormal respiratory exam. When present, these red flags should take you off of the chronic cough pathway and prompt evaluation for a, a more urgent diagnosis. After that diagnosis is evaluated and treated, if cough persists, you should return to the, um, uh, to the algorithm. In this patient with no red flags, we should be considering medication-related uh, cough. And when considering medication-related cough, uh, we should stop offending medications, which are most commonly ACE inhibitors, and reevaluate in four to six weeks. Remember that cough is reported in about 15% of ACE inhibitor users. Uh, the timing and onset of the cough can be variable. Uh, it's typically a dry cough. Uh, mechanisms include accumulation of bradykinin, which increases cough sensitivity. And drug withdrawal is the most effective therapy. Other drugs that possibly cause cough uh, could include uh, cetagliptin, interferon gamma, ribavirin, leflunamide, and there can be idiosyncratic reactions to uh, many other medications. So it's important to think of the timing of the cough and uh, recognize if any other new medications have been started uh, prior to the cough onset. So this ACE inhibitor was stopped and we reevaluated in four to six weeks. In a six-week follow-up, the cough was still present, but the shortness of breath seems much worse. We obtained pulmonary function testing and see that the FEV1 is 88% of predicted, FVC is 92% of predicted, and the ratio is normal. There was no reversibility on bronchodilator. The methacholine challenge was negative for hyperreactivity, and the exhale, but the exhaled nitric oxide was significantly elevated at 55 parts per billion. Uh, in this patient, a diagnosis of non-asthmatic eosinophilic bronchitis was made, and we initiated fluticasone, 220 micrograms twice daily. 
In follow-up at six weeks, the cough had notably improved. There was no notable dyspnea. The patient was reevaluated at three months, and we we're unable to withdraw the medication, and the patient remains on the inhaled corticosteroid. The use of inhaled corticosteroids is uh, one of the places where the chest and the ERS guidelines differ slightly. Airway inflammation is commonly seen in asthma and non-asthmatic eosinophilic bronchitis, and this is uh, typically eosinophilic. Uh, these are both also very common causes of chronic cough. Um, because, of the, uh, because of the frequency of these as an underlying diagnosis, the European Respiratory Society does suggest that empiric therapy with inhaled corticosteroids could be considered. In chest, the use of inhaled corticosteroids is favored in patients who have um, a strong suspicion of asthma or eosinophilic bronchitis. There is one study from 2004 where we have 120 patients with cough for over a year, randomized to inhaled fluticasone for 14 days versus placebo. In the primary outcome, there was a significant improvement in cough and uh, the cough visual analog scale in the fluticasone group. The exhaled, exhaled nitric oxide, sputum municipals, and total IgE levels were predictors of a su successful trial. Patients without those tended not to respond to the therapy. Okay, how about a, a little bit more complicated case uh, using the ERS pathway? So Juliana is a 55-year-old woman with a history of progressive cough over the last year. Past medical history includes hypothyroidism and hypertension. Current medications include levothyroxine, 125 micrograms daily, and hydrochlorothiazide, 12.5 milligrams per day. Physical exam is normal. Here's a graph of the initial, initial assessment and management strategy for, from the European Respiratory Society. Again, the first priority is to obtain a good history and physical examination. The European Respi Respiratory Society does place uh, a, a more uh, effort around the assessment of cough using a validated tool like the visual analog scale. The visual analog scale uh, is a easy to use tool for uh, assessing the impact of cough. Uh, it's basically a straight line with a market, um, a straight line that measures about 100 millimeters and the patient places their finger um, at where they think uh, their cough severity is. The, uh, the, mark is, the mark from where their finger is can be measured, and that can be used to follow the patient over time. The minimum clinical important difference is undefined for chronic cough, but it's around 17 millimeters in acute cough, um, and so it's thought to be likely similar for chronic cough. But this gives you a pretty easy, um, uh, easy way to objectively measure the patient's cough severity, or at least their perception of cough, sever uh, cough severity. There are certainly more involved um, ways of assessing cough, including the Lester Cough Questionnaire, or LCQ. This is a 19-item um, uh, survey um, with a seven-point scale. This is intended to assess the impact of cough over the preceding two weeks. Uh, this has uh, total physical, psychological, and social domain scores. The minimal clinically important difference on this is 1.5 to 2 points. So this is certainly a well-validated scale. Um, it is a bit uh, more cumbersome to apply in clinical practice, uh, but um, can give uh, very useful information. So for Juliana, um, further history taking revealed that this patient did have triggers that included spicy foods. Um, the cough occurred at night and during the day. 
there was associated reflux symptoms and minimal sputum production. We did ask about red flags. There was no hemoptysis. This patient did have uh, a, a prior minor history of smoking. Uh, his tried lozenges with no improvement in symptoms. The visual analog scale is 60 millimeters. Routine spirometric testing showed an FEV1 that was 92% of predicted, an FVC that was 90% of predicted, and an FEV1 to FVC ratio that was 0.76. There was no reversibility seen on bronchodilator. Chest X-ray was normal. One question that often comes up when dealing with chronic cough is should a CT scan be performed in patients with chronic cough uh, if there is a normal chest X-ray or in physical exam? Uh, and the European Respiratory Society specifically addresses this by saying CT chest is not recommended routinely when chest X-ray and physical exam are normal. Now, in a patient with a smoking history like this, you certainly could consider a CT chest for unexplained cough. I think that would be uh, justifiable. But in general practice, if there's no uh, other reason um, to suspect lung cancer or a, a, another diagnosis that you can diagnose more reliably by CT, that shouldn't be part of the routine evaluation. All right, so back to the, uh, back to the graph here. So again, the initial part on the, uh, from ERS, just like with CHEST, is to obtain a thorough history and physical examination um, to uh, uh, formally assess the cough severity using something like the visual analog score or the LCQ, um, to assess for associated symptoms that could suggest uh, an underlying diagnosis, uh, to obtain routine evaluation that includes chest, radiogra uh, chest radiography or pulmonary function and pulmonary function testing with uh, the possibility of obtaining exhaled nitric oxide, uh, sputum, or blood eosinophils. Um, those are uh, questionable evaluations. Um, the exhaled nitric oxide is, is not uh, routinely available in all labs, and uh, rigorous data on the use of exhaled nitric oxide to screen patients for airway disease um, related to chronic cough is lacking. The initial management from, uh, suggested by ERS is to stop any risk factors, uh, to initiate corticosteroids, either oral or, exhaled, or, or inhaled um, corticosteroids, for two to four weeks. Now, this is uh, particularly suggested when there's evidence of eosinophilic um, airway inflammation. However, as I just said, uh, some of this testing is not, uh, not always available to, uh, to practitioners, and so an empiric therapy uh, challenge for two to four weeks is certainly reasonable, given the frequency of this as the diagnosis. They suggest only initiating PPI therapy when there are peptic symptoms or evidence of acid reflux. Then uh, follow-up should occur. Uh, with a validated uh, assessment to see if there's any improvement and to assess if there's any uh, associated symptoms. If there's improvement, you would continue for three months and attempt withdrawal. If there's no improvement, we move to a different part on the algorithm with neuromodulatory agents. Other evaluations that could be considered include um, esophageal manometry, induced sputum for eosinophils, uh, sputum AFB, laryngoscopy, methacholine challenge, uh, CT chest for uh, cases where there uh, may be risk factors for, uh, for that disease, and bronchoscopy. So this patient does have a history of reflux symptoms, and it's certainly reasonable to place this patient on PPI therapy. Unfortunately, at four weeks, reflux symptoms were improved, but cough remained bothersome. Now, uh, 
many uh, many people think that uh, empiric therapy of uh, w um, with uh, PPI should be considered in patients with chronic cough, but in patients without peptic symptoms, empiric therapy with PPI is, is uh, not something that should be routinely done. There are several studies uh, which describe lack of efficacy uh, when uh, using acid suppression therapy. Um, this study from 2011 uh, took 50 patients uh, with chronic cough, randomized to ezomeprazole versus placebo, and there was no change in cough score eight weeks. Um, there was a trend towards improvement in patients with dyspepsia. This was a fairly small study, though. Uh, another study from 2011 took 40 patients with chronic cough and no symptoms of reflux specifically and randomized them to high-dose ezomeprazole, 40 milligrams twice daily versus placebo, and there was really no change in measures of cough uh, severity at 12 weeks. So, you know, this patient, Juliana, had uh, reflux symptoms, and I think that should definitely be treated. But if there are no symptoms of reflux, uh, PPI administration really should not be, um, uh, uh, should not be done. This patient then uh, was initiated on a trial of fluticasone, 220 micrograms twice daily. And at four weeks, there was no improvement in cough, uh, cough severity. So I think uh, a lot of us have been in this kind of um, in this kind of place where there is a, a cough that doesn't seem to respond to therapies, uh, and there may be suggestive symptoms that get treated, and the cough um, isn't uh, isn't improving. Uh, and sometimes this can lead to a lot of other workup, like impedance monitoring, um, uh, occasionally an EGD, especially in a patient with reflux symptoms, um, barium swallow to screen for esophageal dysfunction or aspiration, uh, bronchoscopy uh, to look for air, um, uh, eosinophilic airway inflammation, uh, and some sinus evaluation, which could include just a clinical evaluation and occasionally uh, involves imaging of the sinuses. Additional pulmonary testing can certainly be considered. Um, that could include a methacholine challenge and exhaled nitric oxide in this case. Um, here, both of these were negative. So this is a patient where there's really no clues as to what's uh, causing the cough. We don't have eosinophilic airway inflammation, uh, and we may need to look at different strategies. So again, the ERS guidelines are to uh, mitigate risk factors and avoid triggers, treat potential causes, then if you find something is successful, to treat it for three months and attempt a taper. Uh, if, the ta if you're uh, uh, unsuccessful, you can consider other things like speech therapy interventions, low-dose opiates, promotility agents, and, um, or pregabalin or gabapentin. Speech pathology can be a particularly effective intervention for people with chronic cough. Uh, this utilizes central control of cough uh, to mitigate cough symptoms. There's, uh, these, there's four components that can be delivered over three to four sessions, so this is not necessarily a really long, intensive intervention. Um, they work with education, helping patients to understand their condition and the rationale for therapies. They provide psychoeducational support, discussing adherence uh, and emotional barriers to treatment. Uh, they discuss cough suppression strategies, including breathing and laryngeal reposturing, and uh, responding to urge to cough uh, with other behaviors and uh, reducing laryngeal irritation, so um, working with lifestyle interventions to reduce potential, th um, uh, 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 potential exposures which could be contributing, which include um, minimizing exposure to alcohol, uh, working on reflux mitigation, and reducing phonotraumatic behaviors. Uh, 
this has been shown in multiple studies to improve uh, cough-related quality of life, cough severity, cough frequency, and urge to cough. So it's really something that uh, is, is worth considering in these patients with refractory chronic cough um, who, are, who are failing therapy. And, you know, uh, we may see over time that this uh, intervention gets moved higher in the priority list uh, for use. So unfortunately with this patient, um, speech, pathology, speech pathology intervention uh, led to only a minor improvement in cough uh, with a VAS of 55 millimeters, started at 60, was a bit worse at 65, and improved at 55, so some improvement, but still uh, having a bothersome cough. So what should we consider next? So at this point, we really should be considering neuromodulatory therapies. Now, neuromodulatory therapies can include things like gabapentin. Uh, it can include um, uh, other, other therapies like opiates. Uh, gabapentin has been described in chronic cough uh, for a number of years. So in 2012, there was a study from uh, Ryan colleagues with 62 patients with chronic cough randomized to gabapentin or placebo. And gabapentin starting at 300 milligrams a day, escalating to 18 100 milligrams a day divided um, BID led to significant improvements in, uh, in cough severity as measured by the LCQ. There was a 74% improvement with the intervention and 46% 40, uh, in placebo. Now, this was interesting because there was no change in cough reflex sensitivity or urge to cough frequency or laryngeal dysfunction scores, uh, but certainly improves the um, uh, cough severity. Uh, so it's, this is certainly one uh, worth uh, considering. Morphine is also something that has been suggested from uh, ERS for use in refractory cough. So in this patient, gabapentin was initiated with a slow titration up to 300 milligrams uh, twice daily. The patient returns in six weeks, and the visual analog scale is now down to 45. So we've improved um, uh, significantly from the worst cough, and we continue titration up to 600 milligrams twice daily, and our follow-up has the visual analog scale at 24 millimeters. So, so now a significant improvement in cough severity. Um, and, uh, you know, this patient can be treated then for three months with an attempt to taper, uh, and often at that three-month time frame, um, you can taper off these medications and uh, the, the, um, the cough remains improved. So this is a good time to uh, talk about some of the differences between the CHEST and the ERS guidelines. So um, uh, they, like I said, they are fairly similar. Um, they do have some slight differences. I think if you're approaching a patient with chronic cough, um, look at both of these guidelines and see which ones kind of make sense to you to use. Uh, subtle differences, um, but, but they, they do get to the, they do tend to get to the same place. Um, speech pathology is certainly recommended in both, guide, uh, in both guidelines as an intervention for sort of refractory cough. Um, they, they do differ in, in terms of the uh, use of uh, empiric use of inhaled corticosteroids, with the ERS guidelines do su uh, suggesting that you can use inhaled corticosteroids empirically uh, because of the lack of access to sputamine eosinophil testing and, and exhaled nitric oxide testing. Um, the CHESS guidelines favor using corticosteroids when we have strong suspicion of asthma or non-asthmatic eosinophilic bronchitis. 
gabapentin or neuromodulatory therapies is recommended in both guidelines. So the chest guideline, really this is for the refractory chronic cough um, uh, uh, guideline, but in ERS is also recommended. Uh, empiric anti-reflux therapy is not recommended in both guidelines. It's recommended against, actually, in both guidelines. Um, morphine is one place that where we also have a little bit of difference. So in the, in the ERS guidelines, uh, morphine is suggested as a neuromodulatory therapy to consider. But the, the chest guidelines, which um, these, this was addressed more in the 2016 uh, chest guideline on chronic refractory cough, uh, morphine was not recommended. Uh, the, the morphine was considered, but given, uh, given the um, uh, efficacy data around morphine, ultimately didn't make it uh, to uh, recommendation. So at this point, um, uh, we've sort of walked through a couple of patients who um, would have fairly typical uh, chronic cough and um, had a, a little bit of time to compare how these guidelines might be a little bit different. Uh, the title of the talk is Emerging Therapies for uh, Patients with Chronic Cough. And, uh, and so we do want to take a few minutes here to discuss the, um, uh, some, of the, some of the newer uh, medications that uh, may be on the way to help us manage this significant problem. And we should have uh, plenty of time for additional questions here after this. So really at this point, the most promising category of novel uh, uh, medications to treat chronic cough are the P2X3 antagonists. These, plain, uh, these receptors are uh, purinogenic receptors that respond to extracellular ATP. Um, these receptors play an important role in the activation of uh, C fibers, so vagal um, uh, afferents that are uh, integral to the cough reflex. There are multiple that are uh, under development right now. Now again, these medications uh, have not been approved for use in the United States and, uh, and, and so are not part of uh, the guidelines at this point. So the, uh, the medication that is most uh, far along in the approval process is Jefepixent. Um, so this is, uh, a, again, an antagonist of P2X3. The early phase one and phase two clinical trials did show uh, positive results for decreasing cough uh, and 24 cough frequency. Um, higher, higher doses of these uh, led to taste disturbances, which uh, were dose limiting. In uh, dose-finding studies, the optimal dose is somewhere, uh, appears to be somewhere between 30 and 50 milligrams, uh, and there are no uh, safety concerns. Again, the most common adverse event was uh, dose-dependent taste alterations, uh, and, and um, those taste alterations subside when treatment is discontinued. The two uh, larger trials, um, COF-1 and COF-2, have been completed. These were parallel, double-blind, randomized, uh, placebo-controlled trials that are uh, assessing efficacy and safety of gefepixent uh, at, uh, at different doses in patients with chronic cough. Um, so in terms of these outcomes, uh, we're looking at 24-hour cough frequency, um, percentage of people with uh, adverse event, and percentage of participants who discontinued uh, due to an adverse event. Um, so this was, uh, these were initially 24-week um, and uh, extended to 52 weeks. There was a, st a statistically significant reduction in the 24-hour cough frequency with gefepixent at 40 milligrams twice daily versus placebo, uh, and this is seen in uh, both cough one and cough two. 
Um, the lower dose of gefepixent uh, did not meet the primary efficacy, uh, and so it does look like the 45 milligram dose is going to be needed. And the adverse events with this um, in, in these studies are consistent with the prior studies with uh, taste alterations um, that are dose-dependent, so, so more frequent in the gefepixent group um, in, the, in the 45 mil, uh, milligram dose. Uh, so this uh, medication uh, has been, is being reviewed at the FDA. An application was submitted in March, uh, and we may see later this year um, this medication be approved. There are other, uh, other P2X3 antagonists that uh, may be coming as well. So aliaxapent. Uh, 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 is a uh, another P2X3 antagonist um, that has undergone phase one and phase two uh, trials, um, which do show that higher doses again lead to decreased cough frequency. Um, these uh, patients do have again taste uh, dose-dependent taste alterations, uh, which improve with drug removal. Um, Blue 5937 is a, uh, uh, a third agent that is undergoing phase two uh, trial, so this is the relief trial. Uh, in this trial, uh, individuals are on 16-day uh, treatment periods with escalating doses. Um, this uh, trial was a bit limited because it occurred during the COVID pandemic, uh, and so a little bit behind on, on um, getting data from this. Uh, the, there was some reductions in cough frequency, but uh, in the intent to treat population, there was there was um, uh, there was not a clinically there was not a st statistically significant difference, um, uh, other than in those patients who had a significantly high cough frequency. Uh, this did not have study discontinuations due to alterations in taste. Sevapixent is a, a is another selective P2X3 antagonist, again undergoing phase two trials uh, with a number of different doses. Um, there uh, is a 406 patient trial um, that shows uh, change in baseline cough frequency, um, an improvement in cough frequency. Uh, but these results are, are currently being evaluated. Uh, a phase 2A study uh, that was conducted in Japan showed a 30% uh, reduction in objective frequency of daytime cough after two weeks and a 30% reduction in frequency over 24 hours. Um, there were uh, much fewer taste-related adverse events uh, compared to some of the other drugs, um, some of the other uh, P2X3 anta uh, antagonists. So, uh, in conclusion, um, chronic cough is, is very common. Um, this is a uh, significant impact for our patients. Uh, there are uh, multiple assessment tools, including the LCQ and the visual analog scale that are available to objectively follow patients. Um, the guidelines from CHEST and ERS uh, can be used to guide management. These guidelines are similar. Uh, they, they do approach things slightly differently, and I think it's important to pick uh, a clinical guideline and use this to guide um, you through these patients with chronic cough. Uh, it's felt that many, if not most cases, can ultimately be attributed to an underlying diagnosis, which is most common, which, which is most commonly asthma or non-asthmatic eosinophilic bronchitis after a thorough evaluation. However, in those patients with refractory chronic cough, um, 
additional therapy with speech pathology interventions or neuromodulatory therapy uh, should be considered. And neuromodulator therapies can include gabapentin, uh, amitriptyline, and morphine. There are other uh, new targeted agents that are under investigation that could, that could provide uh, great, uh, greater efficacy um, with, uh, it appears, uh, good safety and tolerability profile. And, you know, in, with Jefepixent, we see significant improvements in cough and also patient-reported outcomes, uh, cough-related quality of life. And so this may be a really important tool in the future for these patients with chronic refractory cough. I want to thank the American Thoracic Society for, for sponsoring these two webinars. Uh, I would like to thank AKH and uh, Trish, Lynn, and Steve uh, for helping uh, put together this really beautiful slide deck. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided by the American Thoracic Society and AKH and is supported by an educational grant from Merck Sharpen Dome Corporation a subsidiary of Merck & Company, Incorporated. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.